Well, welcome to Graduation Sunday. Welcome to those of you that are watching online. If you are watching online, you have had much perseverance this morning, so God bless you. Uh, several that are not able to be here today, uh, and also if your parents are graduates and if you want any of the things we show today, we can definitely get that to you. Wow, what a morning. It is su it's such an exciting thing, and, and, and the kids, you know, we've come through all this over the past year or so. The kids have been working on this song, and I thought, what a better time than to have this on the same day as graduation Sunday. You kind of see the, the full spectrum, right? So this morning, I want to come to you. Kristen, if you would put up Jeremiah 1, 1 through 9. I hope everyone has an outline. Raise, raise your hand if you don't have an outline. It's probably as good of a time as any to, to get one of those several this morning that do not have an outline. And this morning, graduates, I, I want to speak to you, but I'm speaking to all of us, okay? Because what I'm going to say to you, graduates, is something that we can all live by. The name of the sermon this morning is The Name. Just The Name. And we're going to read from Jeremiah 1, 1 through 9. Here you have the call of Jeremiah, the prophet. And a lot of this is just to intro into the sermon. And so I want us to kind of just get our mind right on what the nature of this sermon is going to be today. I want to, even for those of us that have been in the faith for a long, long time, maybe see something differently for the first time and give us something that we can sink our teeth into and say that God that we serve is not just some far off and away God that we can't know in a tangible way. He has always expressed himself in a way that was real. And so if you take away anything from us is that we're not just to go through the motions of church and faith and all that. And as you go out, this faith that you've, you've talked about and you've heard in church, it really becomes your own. Even if you're not going away to school, all of a sudden now you have to make decisions as your own family unit. You're going off on your own. You're making your own independent choices and setting up the course of your life going forward. And so my challenge for you is to walk this out and to dive into what it means to be a Christian Insert your own name for whatever the case you might be in this, whether you're 24, whether you're 18, for I myself as an individual to walk it out and to be in the name. Not just to say I believe in Jesus, but to, to live that. So let's, let's we look at Jeremiah together as we kind of get our feet wet coming in. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of a priest. And if you don't have an outline, just keep your hand raised. Oh, lovely. Put your hands back down and we'll raise them at the appropriate juncture. All right. Like I said, lots of reasons to get our feet wet this morning. All right, let's wade into this water. To the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, the priests who were in Anahoth, the land of Benjamin, get this, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It came also... In the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, son of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Verse 4. Then the word came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. We'll do the next three verses in just a second, but hang out on verse 6 for a second here. 
We're not all ordained to be a prophet to the nations, right? We're not going to, this whole sermon is not about Jeremiah, but we're not all called to be Jeremiah. He was called to a life of singleness. We know a lot of things about him personally, but this sermon is not about that. This is about God, the God who was calling and ordaining Jeremiah. Because young person, McKenna, Cody, Caleb, even those that are not graduating today, Jonathan, Isabel, Chase, who's not here today, Josh. God has known you even before you were in the womb. There's a personal nature to God. If you would raise those hands back up, it is time. And there's a hesitancy, there's lots of scriptures in the Bible that speak to this, but there's a hesitancy sometimes as a young person to feel like, well, maybe one day when I get to XYZ, then I have a house or I have my own family and all these things differently, then I'll, I'll live for God and I'll go to church and everything will make sense. No, 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 God wants to use you right now. Even as a 14-year-old, even as a 12-year-old, God wants to use you right now. It's amazing to think how young Mary actually would have been when she was called of God to, to bear Jesus Christ in her womb. It's amazing to think how young David actually probably was when he was fighting Goliath. It's amazing to think that Josiah, as a king, became king as an eight-year-old and was the most revolutionary king in Israel. So God is no respecter of persons in ages, certainly, just one of those things. Now, if you would read with me, verse 7, 8, and 9, and we'll close out this passage. This leads into kind of the bigger point. Remember, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. Verse 7 says, But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And just meditate on verse 9 a little bit. We'll get into this a little bit today, and you'll get the broad concept, hopefully, throughout the morning. The word of the Lord comes to him, and somehow how he's hearing the word, and the word comes to him. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. Does that sound personal or what? And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. God did that for Jeremiah, but that type of thing is what he does to any of us that he calls and saves and we're in fellowship with. If you would do me the pleasure of reading something from Kevin DeYoung, and then I will pray and we will get into this sermon, but I think this really sets the table very well. Raise your hand if you've heard of R.C. Sproul. He's passed away, but Ligonier Ministries is the ministry that he was a part of, and you know, while there's some that we would and some we wouldn't endorse regarding things, that doctrinal positions and what have you, this article, Kevin DeYoung, on the name of Jesus, there's a few excerpts that I wanted to read this morning that I think just really set the name of Jesus as something to think about as we go into this morning. How many of you know the name of Jesus? How many of you speak the name of Jesus? How many of you consider to be the name of Jesus something you're familiar with? 
Well, let's think about this because the way we're coming at it is a lot different than the way it would have been approached. Over the past 2,000 years, more people on planet Earth have known the name of Jesus than any other name. Since AD 33, over 8 billion people, by one estimate, have claimed to be followers of this Jesus, or Jesus, or Isis, or whatever the name of Christ is called in your language. Billions more have heard of his name. Today, the name of Jesus can be found in more than 6,000 languages and more being added every year. On the one hand, it's strange that this single name has dominated the past 2,000 years of world history, especially Western history. For most of us, the name has a sacred ring to it. It sounds holy and divine, but this wasn't the case when Mary and Joseph follows the angel's instructions and gave their baby this name. Granted, it had a special meaning, but it was not an unusual name. The first century Jewish historian Josephus mentions at least 12 different people he knew had the name Jesus, including four high priests. In Acts 9, we read about the Jewish false prophet Bar-Jesus. In Colossians 4, Paul mentions one of his fellow workers, Jesus, called Justice. And some ancient manuscripts of the Gospel of Matthew refer to the robber released by Pilate as Jesus Barabbas, which can be translated, ironically enough, Jesus, son of the father, the meaning of Barabbas. Now, this is what I want us to really get a hold of here, how things can change. Jesus was a common name, like Jim, John, or Jerry. When Mary and Joseph called their son, son Jesus, there were no prayers in his name. No one used it as a swear word. And I will stop here just for a second. I let a lot of things go. I'm a pretty easygoing guy, like even on a basketball court or something, nothing will get me going quite like that. And I will stop and I will make a comment to you, no matter how big you are, that leave his name out of it, especially when it's laced with an expletive. And otherwise, I'll let all kind of stuff go. Stuff just doesn't bother me, but that, it's not okay. Back then, this wasn't the case. Jesus was just any kind of name. No one would even think to use that name any kind out of the way. But as common as the name was, Jesus was named Jesus by design. In Greek, and I'm going to mess this up, so bear with me, Isis, in Aramaic, the language Jesus spoke, Yeshu, both are derived from Hebrew. Y'all heard familiar with the name Yeshua or Joshua? Joshua is made up of two parts, Yah, short for Yahweh, and Hoshe, which means salvation. Hence, Mary and Joseph gave their little baby the name Jesus, meaning Yahweh saves. That he does. Ever since the first Christmas, Jesus has been more than just a name. It's been our only comfort in life and death and your only hope in this hopeless world. When you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you have life in his name. John 20, 31. There's in fact no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved, Acts 4.12. So naturally, whatever we do, in word or deed, we ought to do in the name of the Lord Jesus, Colossians 3.17. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. But let's be clear. 
And this transitions us a little bit into the introduction. I'll, I'll pray before we get into that. But think about this, because this is what I'm afraid of sometimes. And even in church culture, this is dangerous. Let's be clear. The name of Jesus is not a magic wand. Chanting it does not give one special powers. The power in the name is the person behind the name. In biblical times, names meant something. They were more than just badges of identification. They often told others who you were and the purpose God had for your life. What about Jesus? And you shall call his name Jesus, the angel tells Joseph, Matthew 1. For he shall save his people from their sins. Hallelujah. Jesus is the Savior of sinners. And again, that was excerpts from something written by Kevin DeYoung. Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for this morning, the opportunity to stand, Lord, in this pulpit, God, and declare your word. God, your word is truth. You are truth. God, you are the comforter, you are the peacemaker, you are the waymaker, the one that, God, without there is nothing and no cause. Our life could be the, the theme of Ecclesiastes, vain, vain. It's all vanity without you. And I thank you, Lord God, that you have chosen to place yourself in the center of everything, that we may know you, that we may touch you, that we may be saved by you and redeemed, Lord, for your glory, that we could work and walk and have the privilege, God, of saying that our life is bought with a price. I thank you for that morning. I pray, God, that this morning that the gravity of that would be gripped, Lord, by every heart and soul in this building, regardless of age. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you would look at the outline, we will not be going through this, but the reason I want to make sure everyone has it is because the scripture in it is good. And as pastor so often says, go home and study, like, look at it. So do not worry, I'm going to be very mindful of the time, but let's get into this. So the introduction says, there's much confusion today on the name of Jesus. Even those inside the church have a tendency to drift into a soft name it and claim it, hocus pocus kind of incantation or chanting mentality. How should we think of praying in and representing the name? How do we biblically get to the point of praying like Jesus did, not my will, but thy will be done? The big chunk of this outline, if you see the who is he, comes from a, a single chapter of a book called Supernatural, written by Dr. Michael Heiser. Same with R.C. Sproul. I could say some of his things that are really interesting to think about and some I don't endorse. But this is a, a sermon I'm so excited about, so confident, because two months ago I was like, this, what we're talking about has to be a sermon, and the scripture in here just really makes it real tangible. So though we won't be able to cover all these, go back and look at it and just see, okay, is what he's saying true? Does it, does it make sense? I believe it does. I believe there's something to be said for the fact that God is consistent regardless of what time period of the Bible you're reading through, regardless of who you are in life, regardless of if it's thousands of years ago or today or tomorrow, he's consistent. And he's done all these things, not just by chance. You're not an accident. I don't care of X, Y, Z, you might tell me, but there's a purpose for your life. And God himself, whatever he does, is not by chance. There is a reason behind it. We may not always understand that reason, but 
it is not lost on God. Abraham meets the word. We're familiar with Abraham, the father of faith. If you would put up Kristen 12.7 of Genesis. This is right after Abraham's told to go leave his homeland. He's going to be a blessing to the nations. This is just interesting to me. He goes to maybe an oak of Moray. There's a tree that's right there with him. And the Lord appears to Abram. Things like this are all throughout Scripture. You have it right there on your outline. Go home and look at it at your convenience. But the Lord appears to Abram. And he builds an altar to the Lord. There's worship. Tammy, or Kristen, real quick. 15, 1, 4, and 6. Just, yep. 15, verse 1. He comes to him in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. Verse 4. And behold, the word says, you shall have a son that's not your heir. Verse 6. And he believed. How many of you are familiar with this verse? Big in the, in the New Testament, right? This is the way we know that Abraham's the father of faith. All it was that he believed in God and it was counted to righteousness. You jump down to verse 18 in this and you have the whole process of the covenant being made. God walks through the sacrifice in that vision. It's unconditional. But he's dealing with something there in person. If, you, if you're reading the outline, God shows up in the Old Testament as a man. This is with Abraham. He's a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look at Isaac in 26 verse 2. Very similar kind of thing. The Lord appears to him and says, don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. How about Jacob? Familiar with Jacob's ladder? 28, 13. This is a vision that he's had. He's laying down. We think about Jacob's ladder, but look at 28, verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it. We're not given descriptions. It wasn't our vision. It was his vision. But it was personal. It meant something. And there's this expression of some type of the person of God, the person being revealed. And it changes his life. The angel goes forward in, verse, in chapter 31, and we are familiar with the idea of wrestling with God in 32. Kristen, if you would put up 1 Samuel 3, verse 10. There's a young boy named Samuel that hears God calling him. And even, even us as adults, I feel like we skip this part. When finally Eli says, go back three times, like, okay, it's, it's, I guess it's God talking to you. It's sure not me. When God begins to talk to him, it says, now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Jesus of Nazareth is the preeminent word. And all of these things, be it the law, be it the burning bush, be it whatever, God is, the word on the outline is self-mitigating, but God is allowing himself to be revealed in a way that we can handle it. Because he is holy and we are not. But that doesn't make him any less personal. Hallelujah. If you look at Judges 6, 24, and I wasn't planning on highlighting this and skipping over the rest, but I think for time I will. The Lord is peace. 
In Hebrew there, you have some that would say this is Jehovah Shalom. This comes right at the end of, of Gideon having one of these encounters with God and saying, somehow my life is spared in spite of the fact that I saw God. And, and, I, and I'm with God. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to know who he is and I'm working on his behalf. And the phrase, the Lord of peace, is inserted in scripture in the same concept. Sometimes God appears as a fire, a cloud, or a man. The angel of the Lord is one of the Old Testament that pops up a lot. A lot that can be said about this, but in the burning bush, the angel of the Lord speaks in the first person as God. This is the Lord. Exodus 23, 20, and we'll read these three verses. This is after the giving of the Ten Commandments, as this is all being worked out. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions. For my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I'll be an enemy to your enemies, an adversary to your adversaries. So there's something powerful about this name. There's a way that this name is associated with whoever's going to be in God or of God. The name of the Lord is the Lord. And this will be real quick, Isaiah 30, 27 through 28. Christy's teaching in Children's Church, but she would love this personification in the Scripture. She's all about a good literary, she used to be an English teacher. Behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar. Burning with his anger and his burden is heavy, his lips are, the name of the Lord, the name's lips are full of indignation. His tongue is a devouring fire. Verse 28, his breath, the name's breath, it's like an overflowing stream which reaches up to the neck to sift the nations with a sieve of futility. There shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people. Isaiah is pronouncing God's word to all the nations, not just God's people Israel. They're blowing it, but all the nations. And God is above all, and he's working with all. And through Abraham and through Christ, he's going to redeem any that will accept and bow the knee while there's time. And finally, in Genesis 48, 15 through 16, and I know I'm skipping over some of this. Again, look, look, at, look at this at your own convenience. There's, there's a lot of good stuff here. But if you can get the point, then I think we'll be doing okay. Trinitarian concept is something that we talk about in church. And even way back in Genesis 48, the call that go forth to the, the different sons and Jacob's blessing, the future generation. Check out what's happening right here in just a couple verses. He blesses Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day. Talking about God. Same context, next verse. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them. Let the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So there's this multiplicity of God and how God, Father, Son, and Spirit is even there in the Old Testament. The name of God being consistent with all of this. Of course, we find out about Jesus in the future. But this, there's this consistency and this personality that God wants to get a hold of us and not change our personality, but connect that with His. Connect us in relationship 
And then as we go forward, he cleans us up, washes the sin away. We go forward in this power that's been there from the beginning, that we're to advance his kingdom and let thy will be done. Real quickly, Jesus is not some concoction that a lot of people got together around about the time the calendar shifted and just created Jesus. That's not how that works. All these things I've showed you in the Old Testament proclaim what's in the New Testament. Jesus is the Word, John 1, 1. He's the angel and the name. Kristen, let's look at, this is a little weird in there. Let's look at Jude uh, chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. This is the New King James. So if you look at verse 4, For certain men have crept in unnoticed. A lot of Jews talking about false prophets. Long ago they'd marked out for this condemnation ungodly men who turned the grace of God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5. But I want to remind you, though, you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Because a lot of the Dead Sea Scrolls and, and discoveries and things that have happened, some translations translate this differently. Would you pull up the other one that says 1-5? This is the ESV. And again, there's nothing wrong about these other translations. He's certainly the Lord. But look at what ESV says about Jude 1.5. Now, I want to remind you, although, once you fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, hold on, wasn't that Moses and God and the Father? Well, there was an angel there. There was other things that we don't quite understand. And Jude, one of the brothers of Jesus, likely, He's saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the Lord's doing this. And there's reason to believe he's specifically saying Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt and afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And then the name. How many of you are familiar with John 17? If I say John 17, you know what that means. That's Jesus' prayer for us for the church, for all, for all people. He's praying for his disciples, John 17. But in John 17, he, you don't have to put this up, Kristen, but he says, Lord, you've revealed your name in me. And Lord, I'm praying for all those, those that go out that our name may be in them. That, that this caring for, this personification of what the name is to do, the effect is to be present in the believer. So what about us? What now? Some of this might feel hard again. Take this home and look at it. You're like, what in the world? I mean, it's, it's all right there. It's time to connect our head, our natural understanding, and our heart, our spiritual understanding. And primarily, to always be ready to give a biblical defense for faith. I spoke last Wednesday about knowledge, and, and the context there was knowledge not even being a good thing. Love is better but knowledge is not something we run away from. Don't look to have all the answers. Just look to feel comfortable. If someone asks you about your faith, I'm going to answer for that. I'm not going to shrink back because I'm a, I think it might be a stupid thing to believe. No. We don't have to have all the answers to physics and the way the world is constructed and every little aspect of everything. That's God's position to know everything. But don't be afraid of asking questions. Jesus' name is, is in the Gospel, Acts, 1 Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians, Hebrews. If you would put up Revelation 2, verse 13. 
Young people get a hold of this. This is not meant to scare you. It's just reality. Welcome to adulthood. <laughs> this is one of the letters to the churches in Revelation, but I'm going to use this to just speak to you in the sense of going off to college. Whether you're leaving physically or not, the Internet's a thing, and so in some ways you've already been experiencing the world way before now. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days which Antipas was my faithful martyr was killed among you where Satan dwells. I don't have all the local context for what all that means, but it's not good. It's not good. And thank God we're not facing that kind of thing in this immediate context where you're killed for the name of Jesus, but there's opposition you're going to face. But hold fast to his name. Don't deny, don't deny the faith. Make it, make it your faith. So it says, don't deny my faith. Make it your own faith. As you're stepping out now, this is where this becomes a real thing because you know, you're going to be making your own choices fully. With this biblical way, there should not be any difference between speaking and representing the name. In Acts 2.38, they're told to baptize and go forth and preach the name of Jesus and all these things. And then chapter 5, verse 40, it says, don't speak in his name. We're going to put you in prison. If you would play the video, Kristen. This is a gentleman, Frank Turk, and I believe it goes very well. Matt, if you want to go ahead and just be ready to play softly. Or... This is less than two minutes. It's okay. In our ministry, we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist seminars there. Why? Because 75% of young people who are brought up in the church walk away from the church once they leave the home. Now, there's a number of reasons for this, but one of the reasons is intellectually they don't know why Christianity is true. Why? Because we haven't told them why it's true. We simply say believe, and then they go off to college, and who do they run into? College professors who are five times more likely to be atheists than the general public. And they are quite often talked out of their faith. A faith they never really had. It was just emotional. They didn't have any real intellectual grounding to it. And in fact, sometimes the kids, of course, walk away on their own volition because, let's admit it, when you go to college, God is inconvenient. You don't want God to get in the way all the fun you want to have. That's why I ask atheists on college campuses, and this is a good question to ask any unbeliever. In fact, this is the one question I ask all unbelievers. You should ask this question. I ask atheists on college campuses, when I get a little, a little pushback during the Q&A, I'll say, hey, hey, do you mind if I ask you a question? Yeah, sure, go ahead. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? I've had several atheists in recent years yell back at me, no! No. Why are we even here then? Why don't we just go have pizza? I mean, what, what, you claim to be an atheist, a beacon of reason. And I ask you, if Christianity were true, would you believe it? And you say no. How's that reasonable? How's that rational? It's not. The problem isn't here. The problem is here. They don't want it to be true. 
We'll leave that, that up there for a minute, and I'll speak to it in just a second. And you can go ahead and begin to play if you want. You all have heard of the phrase salt and light. We're to be salt and light to affect change in the world. Well, in the days that the scripture was put forth, the salt and light that we just experienced whenever we want to turn on a light or go get some salt out of the cabinet, that was a rare commodity. It's not normal to be salt and light. And so I had to say whether to put that up, you know, 75% is a lot, you know. It's a little bit of a downer. But the good thing is, there's enough people in the world, there's enough people right here, that you can easily be in the 25%. And we can easily see that number change. Amen? So how do we go about this? Praying in Jesus' name is one of the biggest things, I think, that, that drives the reason that I wanted to preach this this morning. Because when you say pray in Jesus' name, oftentimes even the most mature Christians can fall into thinking, oh, if you pray in Jesus' name, then you kind of have the, the key, the trump card. You know, you're praying in his name, that's access. And all of that's theologically true, but be careful. Be careful. We're not going to put it up. We're going to leave this up here for now, but... James 4.3, we missed off the top. And it says in James 4.3 that you're praying and it's not happening because you're praying amiss. You're praying for the wrong motivation. You're praying for things that you want but you don't need. And I believe sometimes God will answer prayers that are not even necessarily the best thing, but he's a gracious God and he'll give us what we want sometimes. But be careful that we don't fall into that. Because God is not a genie. God will not just give you what you want. Thank God there's grace and there's things that God does that defy logic. The whole gospel is like that. So should we pray in Jesus' name? Of course. Of course. But this is not just this, un this word unlock heaven. Rather, it's emblematic of what we're praying. As Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, Lord but thy will be done. And the C.S. Lewis quote up here speaks to this a little bit because it's one thing to say, you know, not my will, your will. But God is gracious. And the essence of this, which I'll get to in just a second, is that when you get out in the college or you get out in the world, hell, you believe in hell? What kind of a backwoods, old-timey believer are you? Give me a break. You probably believe the Bible. You're going to hear that. And if God's loving, why will God wouldn't do? The, the excerpt I just pulled from at the very end of that sermon, he, Frank Turret, who has a great apologetics ministry, cross-examined is something you can find on YouTube. There's an app. There's all kinds of stuff. There's many other people that are in that and speaking to it. So young people, whatever age, cross-examine is a great thing to check out for apologetics. But his point was, no, 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 God's not going to force you into heaven against your will. What kind of love is that? So yes, there's an alternative, and that's the point of this by C.S. Lewis. There are only two kinds of people in the end 
those who say to God, Thy will be done. Or those to whom God says at the very, very end, No, thy, thy will be done. And God looks at the individual and says, You've resisted long enough. I'm coming back to claim my bride. I wish you were part of the bride. But no, thy will be done. So how do we walk this out? Check out the scripture at your own time, but humble yourself. Come humbly. Don't ask for God to humble you or hope that he would. Humble yourself. By what means? Pray. I don't know what to pray. Pray. Just cry out to God. That's all he wants. He doesn't want a prayer with a lot of words. He wants your heart. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to worship. Worships are not about the words you say. It's about the heart of it. By what measure? At some point you're going to know, okay, am I still praying the right thing? Look at the word. The Bible is the measure. And to what end? How long must I keep going? You telling me I got to do all this and I got to be a Christian and live my life and day by day, just live for him right now and worry about tomorrow when tomorrow gets here. And in what strength? His spirit. We're not called to do this alone. All we're called to do is fall to our knees and say, Father, I need you. And the moment of salvation begins to dwell with the Spirit. The Spirit begins to give you what you need. To step forward at some point and be baptized in the Spirit and to be renewed at some point, to, to walk forward and to take those baby steps of just what do I need right now? Well, the answer is you need God, but He will give you the grace you need today. There is no temptation that you're facing that there's not a way out. There's no struggle. There's no people group. There's no person that, that God is not so powerful to break that chain. So I would ask the praise team to come forward and, and all of us to stand today because we're all in this together and there's lots of ways that we could go about this and blessing the graduates, but this is for all of us. And so if we would all stand, I want to enter into a time of worship. The praise team is going to sing, What a Beautiful Name. So as we sing this, prepare your heart. After we sing it a time through, if the graduates have come and line up at the conclusion of the song, and I want to pray for each one. Pastor Don is going to come and direct from here, but come and, and gather around your loved ones that are there, but we're going to pray for all the needs because this is a sermon not just for a few people. This is a sermon for all of us. Lord, help me to, to walk worthy of the manner to which we've been called. Let's worship.
Let's all believe the Lord as they pray for each one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory be to the Holy Lamb of God. Blessed be the Holy Name of Jesus.
My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Lift your voice. My chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior, He's ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy So good to see all you guys and gals standing out there. Jonathan, you grow it up. You're precious. All of you. Every one of you. And we love you so dearly. Michael, thank you so much. You and Christy for would you give Michael and Christy a good hand for that? The Leaning Tower of Pisa. Most of us have seen pictures of them, how it leans. It took 176 years to build that building. It's been standing for 800 years. They thought it'd fall over many years ago. They've tried everything they could to straighten it up, but they can't. The reason because of the foundation. The Bible speaks of two men that went out to build a house. One built on sand, the other built on the solid foundation. What Michael Britt has preached today is a great solid foundation. Built on that foundation. Amen. Built on that foundation. So good to see all of you today. Jimmy Turner can't tell you how good it is to see you. God bless your heart. David and Normie, I did not know you were here. It's so good to see you. My chains are gone. I've been set free. How many of you, your chains are gone? My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like above, His mercy Thank all of you for being here today. So good to have our guests. Brother Dan, who is this standing over here with you? Is that your brother? How many brothers do you have? Bless your heart. They must love you. Now, where is he from? You mean they come from Texas to Cal and California to, just to be with you? 
Is it you or your wife's cooking? Which one is it? <laughs> Father, we love you today. We thank you for your bountiful presence. Thank you that we can build on a solid foundation. Your word, the name of Jesus Christ. Keep us in your care. Go with us. Watch over us. Give us, give us traveling grace in Christ's name. And everybody said? Turn around, shake hands, and be real friendly if you will.